It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. One thing I have not done I've never pretended to be a police officer. And you know what's so funny? I am work with many police officers. It actually comes time to do something about inflation around the kitchen table. Republicans in Congress said no. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. Did Joe Biden win the election, Congresswoman Green? Joe Biden is the president of the United States. Absolutely, Marcus. but you pushed a big lie that said he did not win the election. They couldn't actually say nice things about one another. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Polls show Democrats' momentum slowing. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. And not the headline Dems want to hear with just over three weeks to the election. We'll get inside the new numbers and the money with political scientist Lincoln Mitchell, associate research scholar at Columbia University. We'll check in with Bloomberg government Zach Cohen, who's on the ground in Utah ahead of tonight's Senate debate. And as Herschel Walker answers to the police badge and the get well card, we'll Get analysis on the race that could decide who controls the Senate with our signature panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us for an important hour ahead that you will not hear anywhere else. Early voting is now underway in states like Georgia and Ohio. And with just over three weeks to Election Day, Democrats may have peaked, according to the latest national polls. A new New York Times-Siena College polls just out this morning finds 49% of likely voters plan to vote for a Republican for Congress, compared to 45% who say they'll vote for a Democrat. Democrats held a one-point lead in that same poll in September. 44% of voters say economic concerns are the most important issues facing America. That's up from mid-30s in July. Separately, a CBS News YouGov poll shows 65% believe the economy is getting worse. CBS projecting Republicans take the House. President Biden over the weekend on the stump in Oregon says inflation will get worse if Republicans win. When it actually comes time to do something about inflation around the kitchen table, Republicans in Congress said no. If they take control, they've said their first aim is to get rid of the Inflation Reduction Act and inflation is going to go up, not down. Your inflation's going to go up, not down. That message does not seem to be resonating. And we bring in Lincoln Mitchell off the top, political analyst, adjunct associate research scholar at the Institute of War and Peace Studies at Columbia University. Lincoln, welcome back to Sound On. Well, thank you for having me. It's always great to be here. So it's, it's not just one, but two new polls show momentum stalling for Democrats in the final weeks here of this cycle. Narrow but distinct is how the New York Times describes Republicans lead right now. Are they right? Yes, if the election were held today, probably. There's still 
you know, a couple weeks to go, and I'm not going to say a lot can happen, because a lot was never going to happen. A lot of minds were never going to be changed. Hmm. But a little can happen, and elections in the 21st century are won and lost in the margin. So I don't think this is over yet. If I were Republican strategist, I would not quite be popping the champagne cork. Well, it's interesting. One on the margins here. The Times-Siena poll uh, finds independent women made the biggest shift. And I had to read this a couple times. It didn't seem right. In September, they favored Democrats by 14 points. Now, independent women, even in the wake of the Roe ruling, I how do you rationalize too. a shift like that? The first thing I thought of is how, what kind of a, a sample are we talking about, right? Independent women. If you have a 1,500-person poll, you know, which I don't think the polls are that big necessarily, you're talking about maybe 200 people fit that mm-hmm. category. So just not a huge number. My sense is that in the, in the initial wake of the Dobbs decision, the Democratic Party hit very, very hard on abortion rights. And now they've pulled back a little bit. And the question for the Democratic Party is, will they be smart enough to go back to that as the closing argument? Because that is the argument that moves key voters. Talking about Trump and democracy, those are all base arguments, right? But if you want to take voters who are kind of Republican curious, worried about inflation, this is an issue that can bring them to the Democrats. So if they don't hit hard on it, those voters will go Republican, and it won't be a good year for the Democrats. And right before the election, uh, Lincoln, there's going to be a Fed meeting and likely another jumbo rate hike, and that's going to be splashed around the front pages and the top of newscasts as people are making their final decisions. And remember, with inflation, you know, there are economic indicators like unemployment just for or the stock market, right, which if you don't have stock or if your job is steady, doesn't necessarily affect you. But mm-hmm. I can't think of a single American who's not affected. I mean, I just went to the grocery store today and was kind of shocked by buying not much, you know. Um, so this is very real. Yeah. And in my view, the Democrats have stumbled here because, and this is something I would have thought Biden would be good at. He's not communicated, this is a serious problem, and I understand, and I want to do something about it. Instead, the first reaction of the Democrats was to deny it and give Biden cover, and that was a mistake. Mm-hmm. Now, in fairness to Biden and the Democratic Party, Nobody has a solution for this. I mean, the Republicans are very good at, to use a technical term, fetching, but they don't have solutions. And I think they're upfront about that. Wow. But if it's going to get them elected, they're going to use it. Well, you know what Joe Biden would say. First of all, a year ago, I made that my priority. I told everyone that. I said, I feel your pain. And look, we, we passed three, four pieces of legislation. They say you're going to bring prices down, Lincoln. That's right. And Biden has a legislative record to, to run on it. But inflation is not part of that record, yeah. right? He got that money out the door. He got the vaccinations. When people thought 100 million vaccinations was never going to happen. He got the infrastructure bill done. He got, you know, the, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is really a climate change bill done. He's done a lot. But, you know, the front and center issue of inflation and the inability of the Democrats to communicate that, you know, this is rough. I understand this. And there are other important things out there we have to think about. They haven't done that because they've played down inflation when to every American, it's very obvious that inflation is real. CBS News, of course, a separate poll, but similar trend, uh, writes, for two months, the Democrats chipped away at the Republicans' lead in the battle for House control, and it's followed by a but. The momentum has stalled, at least for now. How could they have held on to those numbers, or was the timing just not in Democrats' favor this cycle? I mean, maybe I was thinking differently back in the late summer, but I didn't really think the Democrats were ever going to hold on to the House. My sense, and I still think this is possible, that if you, if the Democrats end up with somewhere between 195 and 205 seats, mm-hmm. the Republicans will obviously end up with control of the House, but that's not a red wave, given, given redistricting, given the normal by, by, you know, midterm election patterns. The Republicans could, you could see the Republicans walking away from this election with 235, just to use a round number, House seats, 50 Senate seats. 
And that's not, I mean, if I'm the Republican Party, I'm thinking, wow, we didn't have Trump on the ticket. Mm. We had an unpopular president. Inflation is through the roof. And this is the best we can do. And, and of course, they're only getting those 50 senates because they're cleaning up in these tiny states with like 12 voters. The thing is, nobody's arguing about the House anymore, right? Now, now the argument is, can, can Democrats keep the Senate? And more and more people well, are saying no. Well, first of all, remember that a year ago, it was the assumption they would keep neither, right? True enough. And then what happened is the Republicans, now, and I think we should get into this, nominated a spate of really terrible candidates. I mean, Dr. Oz, Herschel Walker, uh, Blake Master, who sounds more like a golf tournament than a politician in Arizona. <laughs> but but, the, but what you have to understand, I think, is that, is that the Republicans nominate those candidates because that's who they are. This is the party that if Donald Trump says jump, you know, a plurality of primary voters say off of what? Hmm. And then they end up with people like Herschel Walker. So this Who is... could still win this race? I mean, you've got, my gosh, look at the scandal with Herschel Walker. Uh, uh, people applauded his performance in the debate on Friday night. He could be the next senator from Georgia. He could still win this race. But the fact that they have to spend money and they have to worry about Georgia hmm. is not something they thought they would have to do going in. And the other point here is, and I would just, and they're not the same candidate, but I'm struck by... You know, you could make the argument Herschel Walker is just axiomatically unqualified to be in the Senate. And I think that's a given. At the same time, you could make the argument that, that John Fetterman is axiomatically not healthy enough to be in the Senate, at least for now. But one of the real striking things we're seeing over and over in this century is that American elections look more and more like parliamentary elections. All that matter is the party, right? Because, you know, as long as Fetterman has a pulse, he's going to vote for Chuck Schumer for leader and for everything Biden wants, every major thing Biden wants. And as long as Herschel Walker you know, can find his way around the, out of the Senate cloakroom to his desk, he'll do the opposite. And that's how voters are thinking about this. This election is about Walker and Warnock and Fetterman and Oz, but ultimately it's about uh, Biden and Trump. And that's still how voters see it. Well, I'll tell you, it's interesting. Uh, some of the numbers crunched today by uh, the popular information website, tip sheet, whatever I should call it, uh, pretty startling. $35.6 million in corporate donations. These are not people picking up the, uh, the phone and donating $5. $35.5 million to election deniers, those deemed election deniers, incumbents or, or otherwise challengers, uh, by the Washington Post. And this isn't just a couple of people, as you well know. We're talking about 291 election-denying candidates, as described here. The companies on this list, AT&T, UPS, Home Depot, major publicly traded companies, Boeing is in the top five, reinforcing the comment you just made. Right. It tells me that people who run major companies are more concerned about lower tax rate than about democracy. That's just the bottom line. And that number of of election deniers and the number and the money, those are both lowball counts because that doesn't include state legislative candidates. Mm. It doesn't include a situation where somebody is not exactly election denier, but not exactly willing to say on the record that Biden is the president. So it's actually, yeah. I mean, the well. Repub- election denial is a front and center issue for the Republican Party. And I think that's kind of an underreported notion because it's so frightening to people to realize this is what's become of our two-party system. I've worked on elections all over the world. And one thing, one kind of basic thing that we talk about in that kind of work is that if, the, if democracy depends on one party winning, then it's not a democracy. And that's where we are here in the United Boy. States. That's a tough statement. And it does reinforce this. Uh, these numbers reinforce the point that you're making there. It also reinforces the point that people want to vote for a winner, right? If the impression is that Republicans are taking the House, that's where the corporate money's going. Well, for the corporate money, yes, they want to back a winner because they want election to denying that. or not. It's not a fact. Right, right. I mean, you know, J.D. Vance in that debate uh, with Tim Ryan in Ohio says something very interesting. 
he said, why are you, because Ryan was attacking him for supporting all the election deniers and being part of that, and he said, why are you so concerned with that when Ohio, Ohioans can't afford food and, and gas? Hmm. And that is a very concise statement of the Republican position, because the flat out says, we don't care about democracy. And Ryan had a, you know, he said, Ryan's a smart guy, but the response, the Democratic response overall has to be, these things are related, right? When you vote for these when you vote for candidates backed by these corporations whose response to inflation has been to further raise prices because they can, you know, you're, that's, that's what's driving inflation. Fascinating conversation, as always. Lincoln Mitchell, professor, and a lot more, as you can hear. In fact, he is the adjunct associate research scholar at the Institute of War and Peace Studies, Columbia University. Many thanks for being with us here, Lincoln Mitchell. Speaking of the uh, methodology in those polls, the New York Times poll survey, 792 likely voters, 4.1% margin of error. Bigger poll for CBS. They talked to more than 2,000 registered voters. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. A fascinating takeaway from this New York Times-Siena poll as the winning formula, the winning Democratic coalition during the Trump presidency relied, of course, you remember, on a significant gender gap and on winning women by a wide margin. This poll just out shows Republicans have entirely erased what had been an 11-point edge for Democrats among women last month in 22 congressional races to a statistical tie in October. We assembled our panel, Rick Davis back with us and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors. What's your take on this, Jeannie? The president uh, could be knocking on doors around the country right now, but he's going to be spending the bulk of this week either in Rehoboth Beach or here in Washington, D.C. What can Democrats do? Well, the president is doing the right thing. You know, he needs to go where he can be helpful. There are some states and some districts where he simply won't be helpful. In fact, he'll be the opposite. So he is out raising money. He's out with candidates who need him and in whose districts and state he can, you know, at least increase turnout. The most, uh, you know, sort of powerful Democrat going out at this point is Barack Obama. And second to that seems to be Pete Buttigieg. And the argument Democrats have to make over and over again is the focus on the insecurity that women feel about their health and their bodies as it pertains to abortion. They have to talk about the presence of Donald Trump and the candidates he's gotten on the ballot this year, successfully so. And they also have to say, unlike Republicans, they do have an answer to the problem of the economy and inflation. Hmm. You know, one thing that the president has been saying accurately is, show us what you're going to do. It's not enough just to say you're going to get into office. You have to say what you're going to do when you're in there. And Republicans have an answer on that point well rick what do you make of of this 11 point edge is this a story of just sort of vanishing is it a story of of bad timing and proximity the fact that the row ruling happened a little bit earlier in the cycle than that might have been beneficial to democrats or is there more at work here 
Uh, well, I think a little bit of both, right? I mean, I do think it's cyclical. I do think this um, issue around abortion peaked early. You look at you know where it was back at the end of June. I mean, when you look at even things like Google search results for uh, Roe v. Wade or abortion, it was it was super high, right? Hmm. And that was at a time when Democrats were catching their wind and starting to create some of this polling advantage, especially with independent women. And now, economy is ahead of abortion. It's ahead of Roe v. Wade searches. So you don't have to go very far to find sort of empirical evidence that people have changed their their, their priorities. They've changed their point of view. Um, I don't disagree with you know, Lincoln and, and Jeannie who say you got to close a campaign with one of the strongest issues of abortion. But they've never developed, Democrats have never developed a very good talking point around the economy and inflation. Hmm. And certainly now, with the advent of people talking about the inevitability of a recession, it's only gotten to be a steeper curve. And right now, Democrats are running out of time. Joe Biden isn't giving them any assistance. Uh, his numbers, even though his uh, his personal approval is up, when you look at his numbers on the economy, it's a disaster. So hmm. unlikely he's going to be able to you know change the dynamic. Uh, I'll tell you the the president's travel schedule uh, loomed large in the White House briefing room today. And Karine Jean Pierre, the press secretary, was playing defense, as you can imagine. On this, he is only scheduled to be in Pennsylvania this week. We've got three weeks to go here. Only one day he will be campaigning, and that is with uh, John Fetterman in 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 a state that he actually refers to as a as a bit of a home state. Here's Karine Jean Pierre in response. So last week we spent four days of in the country. Right. We left on Wednesday, came back Saturday night to be more specific, 2 a.m. on Sunday. Some of us walked into our house at 2 a.m. on Sunday. Um, and the week before that, he spent four days uh, out into the country. Uh, some of that was, yes, for the hurricane in Puerto Rico uh, and uh, going to see the recovery there. Uh, uh, another day was in Florida to talk to the American people. A lot of people got up for work at two o'clock in the morning or home from work, uh, Jeannie, on Sunday. Is that the best way to relate with Americans here? And, and you know, why not just say the president's busy? Yeah, I, I mean, the response, you know, is wanting, um, you know, there is a way for the White House to explain the president's schedule. He is doing everything he can to get Democrats elected to maintain the House and the Senate. He has, you know, uh, his his schedule is exactly what it should be. And there's no question about that. Presidents cannot in a midterm year go where they're not wanted. They will they will hurt their own party. But I, I just want to say on this inflation economy issue, you know, Raphael Warnock didn't have the best debate on Friday night, but yeah. on that issue, he did turn the tables on Walker when he talked about the Inflation Reduction Act and said, You've, if you would have voted against it, you would have voted to keep prescription drugs, insulin costs up. That's the answer for Democrats. They've got to say, we are actually producing for mm -hmm. you. That's why that vote was so important on the IRA. They aren't making that case, but Warnock started to get there on Friday night, and Walker had no response to that. I'll give you a taste of that. But I think he should tell the people of Georgia why he thinks they should have expensive insulin and why the pharmaceutical companies should be able to charge us whatever they like. Well, first of all, may I respond? You know, I believe in reducing insulin, but at the same time, you got to eat right because he may not know, and I know many people that's on insulin, and unless you have a eating right, Insulin is doing you no good. So the the eat right uh, line got that this went viral over the weekend. Herschel Walker was asked about it again today on NBC News. So you stand by those statements? Oh, I about do stand the by those statements. You got to eat right for if you're taking insulin, you still got to eat the proper diet. But is that a is that a response, uh, Rick Davis, for a Republican after that vote? 
Well, certainly not for my uh, daughter, who's a type 1 juvenile diabetic, and without light, uh, uh, insulin, she would uh, not be alive. So uh, I think he's got to tighten up that message a little yeah. bit. We're going to spend, by the way, uh, the, the end of the broadcast, our, our last 15 minutes, we're going to dig into the Herschel Walker, Raphael Warnock phenomenon. Not just the debate, but everything that's been surrounding it, because a lot's happened since Friday night. And we're going to go to Utah next. With another debate set for this evening, I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Welcome to Bloomberg Sound On as we turn to the race in Utah. As mentioned, Senator Mike Lee, his challenger, Evan McMullen, an independent, have a tall task ahead of them in what will be their only debate tonight. As I read from Zach Cohen's piece on the terminal, they have to win over a big block of undecideds and uh, these numbers obtained by Bloomberg government, 16% of likely voters say they're undecided. That's uh, that's one poll. A separate poll that Bloomberg government is putting up here shows uh, not too far apart. 12% undecided, Mike Lee ahead, but not by a lot, and below 50%. That's why we discussed on Friday his plea on Fox News. The Republican incumbent for Mitt Romney, of course, also Utah to get on board and endorse them. Please get on board. Help me win re-election. Help us do that. You can get your entire family to donate to me. <laughs> Please. And Evan McMullen shows up on Meet the Press. My goodness. Talking to Chuck Todd about this. If you, if you are elected, will you caucus with the Republicans? Would you vote for Mitch McConnell? These are the questions that are being asked now in a race that not a lot of people were looking at a couple of months ago. Well, look, the, the parties are going to decide who they choose to lead them. I won't be part of that as an independent. And, and whatever scenario, Chuck, uh, the parties in Washington and others, they're going to have to figure out what this means for them on their own. I'm committed to maintaining my independence. I'm building a cross-partisan coalition. I also believe that our country just needs more independent leaders who will stand up to party bosses of both sides. That's the story he's telling right now. And he's friends with Mitt Romney, so Mike Lee is not likely going to get donations from Mitt's entire family. The two polls I mentioned, by the way, do have Lee ahead, just not by a lot, like I said. forty Favored by 47% in one poll, 41% in the other. Bloomberg government, Zach Cohen, has made his way to Utah for the, the one and done tonight. Zach, welcome. It's great to have you here. What's the job then? How, how do you appeal to undecided voters? You have to play it to the center? This is really one of the more fascinating races to watch this cycle, precisely because it, it does not comport with the normal partisan lines that we're seeing in a lot of Senate races. You've got Senator Mike Lee, one of the more conservative members of the Senate on one side, who really tonight has to really start coalescing support from Republicans who are not sold on his reelection race, despite the fact mm. that Utah is, is a rather red state sure. who voted for Trump by over 20 points. And Evan McMullen, I would say, has a harder task trying to introduce himself to those voters who don't know him yet. And try to get a coalition of not just Democrats and independents, but also Republicans that would uh, agree to trade Lee for McMullen in the Senate and hand a hand the Senate something of a, of a potential swing vote that could be really critical on major pieces of legislation. You spoke with a, a data analyst in your piece who referred to a double digit share of undecided voters that we're talking about here showing, quote, a very low engagement state this cycle. What what does that mean? So the, the poll that we were able to get our hands on, 16%, as you mentioned, were undecided between Lee and McMullen, which is a rather large number of voters, especially considering 
that yeah. were only a couple of weeks out. Is it because they're not paying attention, though? I think it's also just a more complicated race. There's no Democrat in this race. So really, Democrats are the ones that make up the big share of these undecided voters who are looking at Mike Lee on one side, on the right, and Evan McMullen on the you know the center left and trying to decide whether McMullen's going to be their guy in this race. And so I think a lot of voters are going to make up their decisions as we get closer and closer to Election Day. But certainly this debate provides both candidates an opportunity to address those candidates, yeah. those uh, voters that aren't sold on them yet. Does low engagement equal low turnout? It could. Uh, midterm elections do generally have a lower turnout than a presidential race. Yeah. That's uh, especially true among populations that tend to favor Democrats. Uh, typically, you know, Republican voters are a little more consistent in coming out to the polls. Um, so I think the certainly the combination of a midterm cycle, uh, you don't have a presidential election on the top of the ballot um, and not and no uh, governor's race either. Um, right. the, the Senate race really is the only race to come out for and uh, doesn't really give voters as much to come out for, especially if it's not clear that the Senate uh, control is going to be decided based on this race. Well, how's it feel uh, now that you're there? Are, are people actively talking about midterms are they talking issues who's winning the sign war i think we're going to find out later at the uh, at the debate i'm still at my hotel to be honest with you <laughs> but i think folks uh, uh folks will cert- are certainly seeing plenty of tv ads you know i think the club for growth has come in and spent uh, over three million dollars trying to buttress mike lee sort of from the right and attacking uh Evan mcmullen on his sort of conservative bona fides and mcmullen spending you know a couple you know two million dollars something like that arguing, hey, I'm going to be the independent voice in the Senate. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I didn't see a ton of uh, campaign signs on the way into town yesterday. Uh, but certainly, if you turn on a TV, it's hard to miss the advertising. Great. Uh, enjoy the show tonight. Come back and see us soon. Zach Cohen, Bloomberg Government, reporting from Utah on the Senate race out there. This is an interesting one. Uh, and I'd love to just get some quick impressions uh, from the panel here. Jeannie Shanzano, Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributors. If you're walking into an event like this, a debate like this one tonight, Rick, how do you thread the needle on, you know, look, if you're Mike Lee being a good Republican, but also appealing to undecideds and Evan McMullen uh, as an independent, just defining that is difficult for people. Well, I, I think it's really up to Evan tonight. I mean, people know Mike Lee, right? He's a well-established yeah. political figure, and the idea that you're going to change anybody's mind about him is pretty limited. But Evan McMullen is a bit of an oddball. You know, he's an independent running in a decidedly you know blue and red state, and and he gets a chance tonight to say you know how he feels about Joe Biden, how he feels about inflation, and what Joe Biden's done. You know, he gets to talk a little bit about abortion. You know, and try to finger his way through a pretty. Uh, pretty uh, conservative state so uh it's really all about evan mcmullen in my scorebook uh genie how do you slice that one uh knowing uh, as zach said there's no democrat in the race here so it, it kind of changes the strategy yeah and and you know i think i agree with rick it is up to evan mcmullen to explain who he is and, and what he can do and i thought fascinating over the weekend he was making the case that an election of an independent voice like his and he said he won't caucus with either party yeah. over six years he said that that is going to give the state more power than they've ever had so to me i thought he was making the case that you know much like unlike we have in the United States, he's going to have more power outside the party, which is an absolutely new argument to make. And if he can do it, God bless him. Yeah, it'll be duplicated if if it works. Jeannie and Rick, stand by as we look toward what in the world happens next in Georgia. We had a little taste of the Herschel Raphael Warnock debate from Friday. There's a lot more ahead. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. That is a legit bad. I pointed out the fact that he claimed to be in law enforcement, to be a police officer. One thing I have not done, I've never pretended to be a police officer. And you know what's so funny? I am with, with many police officers. And his response was to produce a fake badge? That's a badge that I was given by a police officer, and I do have the badge. You have it. I, I, I carry it with me all the time. It's not. It's a real badge. It's not a fake badge. It is a real badge. Who gave you the badge? Uh, this badge is from, uh, this badge, and I have badges all over the, all over Georgia. Yeah. I ask you to put that prop away. Well, it's not a prop. It, it this is, is real. And he said, I but, have a prop. I never went to law enforcement. This is from my hometown. This is from Johnson County, from the sheriff of Johnson County, which is a legit badge. Everyone can make fun, but this badge, give me the right. If I, let me finish. I've been very transparent about my life. He, on the other hand, claimed to be a police officer. He's not, even though he produced a badge on the Friday night, claimed to work for the FBI, clearly did not. If anything happened in this county, I have the right to work with the police and getting things done. It's a real badge. It's not a fake badge. It is a real badge. The badge is legit, he says. Herschel Walker speaking again with NBC News. They got the cell phone, huh? Answering to one of the more bizarre moments of the midterm election cycle, his choice to flash a police badge during his debate. Or did he say it was an FBI badge? Senator Raphael Warnock. A regular dragnet. And so we must reassemble the panel. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are our signature panel. Bloomberg politics contributors. Who knew the full version there from, was it Ray Anthony? That thing swings, man. Rick Davis, I don't know what you would have told uh, Raphael Warnock to do. Because it almost seemed like they felt the prop was coming here. He pulls the bat. You saw him uh, quite a bit earlier reach into the jacket. He very slowly pulled out the badge. And apparently he does say now in this interview, he carries it with him everywhere he goes. He did not, however, prove to us that it was... An actual badge that allowed him to arrest, give him arresting rights, that he was in fact a trained police officer, as had been alleged. Where are you on props at debates? Well, props are always a controversial thing. Uh, and I, I'd say that what I noticed about this debate wasn't the prop itself, because you kind of hoped and, and realized he was going to show the badge. He was going to whip out that badge at some yes. point. But, like, the incredible reaction by the moderator. I mean, oh, my God, over the top. People would be talking about her for a long time. A school mom's got nothing on her. She was not going to let him show his badge. And, uh, yeah, and that right. became part of this show. And, and that's the unfortunate part about a lot of these debates is the moderator kind of gets in the way of the message. 
and and becomes the message and i think that's the case here look i mean every time he takes that badge out he's talking about how much he loves police and that is yeah, a good campaign right. tactic and until somebody you know but wrestles into the ground and takes it away look i mean i, I from what I can tell, the conversations that he's had with interviews like today, yeah. mm-hmm. um, he's not looking to you know pretend to be a cop. He's looking to help the cops any way he can. And when the sheriff of Johnson County was mm-hmm. asked about it, he says, "Yeah, we we look forward to him being helpful to us anytime he wants to be." <laughs> this so is like fantastic. you know, he's he's got it he's got it covered. He's not trying to be a cop. He's he's a cop wannabe. And you yeah. know how many how many people sit around hopeful that there are people who are willing to help the cops. So I'm not explaining right, this yeah. away. It's a crazy thing that happened but like you know it's probably crazy and helpful to him right i'm so crazy mm-hmm. i love cops uh again look i guess did it help elvis presley genie i'm not sure but i, I want to bring you back into the, the debate this one moment because everyone got you know including myself distracted by the badge listen to what senator warnock actually says though it's not just that you you were a police officer there's more let me go back to the actual moment in that debate. One thing I have not done, I've never pretended to be a police okay, officer. Got that. All right, and, let the hold on. And, and I've never I've never threatened a shootout with the police. What? How come nobody followed up on that? Uh, Jeannie, that was an AP story from last February. Uh, that in, in his past he in fact threatened a shootout with police. That doesn't seem to sort of coalesce with the rest of the message here. Yeah, and, and you know, I think the reason is just what you said prior, which is people were distracted by the badge. And, you know, I was not surprised at all that he pulled that out because he does not have a message. And as Raphael Warnock was talking about today more effectively than, quite frankly, Friday night, because I watched the debate, um, he is not a serious candidate for the U.S. Senate. And when you're not a serious candidate, you must distract by visuals. And he did that fairly effectively for somebody in their first debate because what is what do people think about then they're thinking about an issue that helps republicans crime what aren't they talking about you know his issues with his children his paying for abortions other issues involving abortion his stance on issues like insulin and prescription drugs and all Mm. of those serious topics so it did work effectively unfortunately it took over the debate and you know Raphael Warnock did not perform at the debate to the level he probably wishes he did he did better on Sunday night but of course Walker wasn't there at the second debate (laughs) there was an empty chair uh, last night Uh, but I'll tell you what the the abortion issue did come up of course and, and let's let's just let this air out for one second uh, Herschel Walker on abortion at the debate. I believe in life. And I tell people this, Georgia is a state that respects life, and I'll be a senator that, that protects life. And I said that was a lie, and I'm not backing down. Referring, of course, to this uh, this whole scandal in which he, uh, it is, he, he has been denying that he encouraged and uh, a former girlfriend and paid for an abortion a woman who apparently fathered uh, or did actually give birth to a, another child of his. But uh, this came up in this same NBC interview, Rick. I hate God. Do I have to do all this background every time? It's brutal. NBC, she's got a picture of the check and they talk this out. Do you right, know what see, this $700 check is for? I have no for? idea what that can be for. Is that your signature I, on the oh, check, though? Let me see. It could be. But it doesn't matter whether it's my signature or not. You know how many checks I've on. written to We don't want any names on. Yes, that's my check. But it I've is written, his check. How many checks have I written to 
The, and, you know, and, she didn't have a job then. Yeah. Did she have a job? And then he questions whether she had a job at the time. So we just, the check has been acknowledged here, Rick. Uh, whether the motivation was there, I, I, or the timing, or what he knew the check was going for. Uh, but does this not matter any longer? That's That would have been a huge development a week ago. Yeah, uh, I think it would have been a huge development. It was a huge development a week ago, you know, just off the information we had and the denials that he gave. And I, I was following Jeannie on her analysis that, you know, he's going to use this prop and distract everybody until he then does an interview and starts talking about abortion again. <laughs> right. I mean, like, if he just shut up and go back to Johnson County and let the sheriff lock him up for the next three <laughs> weeks, he'll be a senator. I mean, like, it's, un, it's unbelievable, you know, that he has this desire to try to nationalize the race beyond what it's already being. I mean, why do you give a national interview for a time when you're trying to run for senator and try to localize the election? Uh, look, I mean, he is not a normal normal candidate for the United States Senate, uh, and he doesn't have the experience. He's doing this by rote, uh, and uh, I, 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 I'm sure his advisors uh, are uh, making it up as they go along because they've got a unique hmm. candidate who is really hard to manage, and and I don't think this is the last we're going to hear about him. He'll probably change his tune on this issue a number of times before now on Election Day. Uh, <laughs> and and we're so polarized right now, especially in a state like Georgia, where we've seen so many elections in such a short period of time, that um, I, I honestly don't know if there's anything either of these candidates can do to really move a significant portion of the electorate. Real Clear Average uh, still has Warnock up by, well, it's 3.3. We'll call it 3 just uh, for safety's sake here, Jeannie. Can I ask, do either of you guys have a gut check on this race? Is, is this seat going to flip, Jeannie? Well, you know, it, to Rick's point, I was so curious as to why they're putting Walker out with these national interviews. He had a better than expected debate. You think he would go quietly into the good night and try to ride the polls and not yeah. talk too much. And yet they had him out in multiple national interviews, which some people are reading as a sign that the internal polling does not mm -hmm. look good for him. You know, obviously he's, he's you know, behind, but just within a margin, if you look at Real Clear. So, you know, I think the likelihood is Warnock is maybe able to hold this out but i do think we're going to see it go into a runoff barack obama's going to georgia the end of october to try to you know act as the closer here uh for the senator rick what's your thought you know look that's a high stakes gamble for uh the warnock campaign i mean they're entering a new dynamic into the election that could mobilize republican voters in a way that they aren't currently um, and uh, the fact that Donald Trump is staying out of the state for a while, you know, is giving you know voters a chance to sort of side with the Republican candidate if they're upset with, um, you know, the current president or the state of the economy. So he's putting himself into a bit of a vacuum. I think it's a bit of a risk. Uh, the fact that Warnock is polling a little ahead, reality is this is a dead heat. Nobody can sit on this race. Uh, and the reality, too, is that, um, you know, if if. If Georgia votes the way the national trends look, it's mm -hmm. going to vote strong at the end of this election cycle uh, for the Republicans. And and when you see uh, Governor Kemp running so far ahead, he'll drive the ballot, not the Senate race. Yeah. And so if a Republican votes for the governor and he's winning by over 55 percent, is he really going to then cross over and vote for Warnock? I don't think so. Or I think it's going to give just leave impetus. Well, I think they all usually just go right down the line, right? Yeah. I mean, and mm -hmm. bullet voters are not well known in Georgia. That's a trend you're banking on this time. Uh, well, certainly Walker is. Yeah. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, great talk as always. Uh, tomorrow is the three-week mark. 
and we are lucky to have the best panel in the business to round the bend on this cycle. We've got a lot to learn still between now and election night in November. We've got big plans for you that night, too. I'll meet you back here tomorrow on the fastest hour in politics. This is Bloomberg. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.